He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And guys, yesterday was an elite sports watching day. We had the PGA Tour at the Valspar at Innisbrook. Obviously, Taylor Moore from Edmond Memorial High School and then went on to play his college golf at Arkansas from Oklahoma 405 stand-up. He is a winner on the PGA Tour. We had the live golf going on at the same time, and we had the Thunder basketball that I was doing the social media for at the same time, and we had the NCAA tournament at the same time, and then we had the World Baseball Classic at the same time. It was crazy for someone who not only works in sports but does a a golf podcast because I had a million different things going on at once but one specific tournament had my attention and that was the Valspar Championship guys our man Timor friend of the show we've had him on three times we're gonna have him on again just a matter of when he actually sees our text message I guarantee you that he has 2,000 text messages after winning but we'll have him on for sure he's our guy but what a performance taking down Jordan Spieth and Adam Shank in that final round, making the long birdie putt at 16 to tie Shank for the lead at 10 under par. Bunker shot of his life on 17. What a putt there. And then on 18, two putt of his life. And they tried to jinx him, guys. They said he was 63 out of 63 inside seven feet on the week. That putt was five feet, six inches on the last hole. And he rolls it right in the heart. 64 out of 64. And then, obviously, Speeth and Shank will get to have their problems coming down the stretch. And Taylor Moore... Couldn't come from a better family, is a winner on the PGA Tour, guys. I couldn't be happier. T-Dub, T-Moore was a guy that we battled, both of us, in junior and high school golf. We talked a little bit on the radio show about our stories uh, about Taylor Moore. We could go on and on about him, but I just couldn't be happier for the guy. Right, T-Dub? Oh, I mean, it's just incredible what I was watching yesterday. It truly was. I felt like that I had hopped in a time machine. I just went back to the classic OJGT days of Timor just hitting beautiful shots and making putts on, on these guys. I mean, it was just crazy to see things that I had seen 15 years ago come out in a PGA Tour event. It was absolutely insane. It was just solid golf so steadily on the back nine, make, hitting it really close on 15, making that birdie there, and having an unbelievable birdie on, on 16 after, after hitting not a very good drive over the left side. Hit a great bunker shot on 17. To, to just two feet. I mean, it's absolutely great shot. Adam Shank was in a similar position. Group behind him can only hit it to 20 feet or so. I mean, it's just great shot. And, and then Woody, the two-point on 18, to put 10 under in the clubhouse and and have a, the, your best chance to secure your first ever PGA Tour win. It was just absolutely unbelievable. Nerves of steel, Woody. That is what amazed me so much. Trying to win the first time in PGA Tour. It looked like he had done this for 30 years of his life. It's fun to listen to you and Sam, you guys, this morning because 
my generation, we've already talked to, they're old and all uh, in, on the Champions Tour are not playing anymore. Your generation is making news right now. So to hear your all's excitement about somebody you played with, that's, that's so much fun to listen to you guys. I will say this, guys. Coming down the stretch yesterday, he had a certain calm about him that was really pretty special for a guy that has not been playing that good, gentlemen. If we look at his stats over the last few weeks, he's he's not somebody would which you would have picked to win this golf tournament. But when he got into position, he did all the right things. And what made it even more fun for us is we were probably the only three guys pulling for him because the way they talked about Shank and his wife's eight and eight and a half months pregnant, he's played ten weeks in a row, and then the great Jordan Spieth. I, 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 everybody on the whole telecast wanted anybody to win but Taylor Moore, it seemed like to me what well, it wasn't I was watching. So it makes it even more fun for our Okie to sneak in there and steal one. Good for him. No doubt about it. And NBC, to me, and I heard a lot of people saying this, did a terrible job letting the people know who Taylor Moore actually is. This guy... Last year, as a rookie on the PGA Tour, he made the top 70 and was in the playoffs, but he's been elite at every single level. He was one of the best juniors in the country. He's one of the best high school players in the country. Then, going on to college, he's one of the best college players in the country. And then on the Corn Ferry Tour, he obviously won on the Corn Ferry Tour, but dealt with some crazy health issues with his lung collapsing. And if he would have gotten on a flight, he would have passed away, guys, and then ended up being convinced to go to the ER, had to take time off for his lung collapsing in 2019, battles back after that, gets his PGA Tour card, and then goes on to have a great rookie season and then win in his sophomore year. This guy is a winner. He's been a lead at every single level. He's not just some journeyman rookie on the PGA Tour. He's one of the most athletic guys out there, and I see him winning more, guys. He kind of has that Mamba mentality out on the golf course. We've seen it ever since he's been a kid, but he is one of the most competitive I mean, I almost said little guys because he used to be little. Now he's just jacked and and ripped and everything. Um, But he's one of those guys that just wants to put the dagger in you when he is coming down the stretch. I see him winning more on the PGA Tour, T-Dub. Oh, this is 100% not a fluke deal by any stretch. This is just the the first of what is going to be a very lucrative career on the PGA Tour. I mean, there there would be no shadow of a doubt in in my mind. And I I thought that way for a long time just with all the the talent that he has. I mean – Woody mentioned that he wasn't playing particularly well coming coming into this event. I mean, he had made the cut at the players coming there, made the cut at the Arnold Palmer, and then had a good stretch over on the West Coast swing. He didn't start off the year very well, missed the cut at the American Express, and then didn't play very well at the Genesis. But he, he, had, he has gained strokes, gained putting over the last five weeks, which we know how great of a putter he is. And it looks like only a couple of weeks he had not gained – uh, strokes uh, from tee to green. So, I mean, and he, he's de- he had definitely right missed some big, uh, yes. Teed up right there. I mean, he finished 11th at Torrey Pines, 15th at Pebble, and, and 14th at, at Phoenix. I mean, that's pretty solid. Oh, 100%. I mean, especially in it, well, I 100% agree with what you said, with what uh, you guys were saying about yesterday and how they weren't letting people know really who Timor was. It seemed like Woody spot on with the fact that if they wanted Shank or Speed to win the tournament, they, they would have loved for them to go into a playoff and Timor to finish down the list, but he said, no, 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 I'm going to go ahead and march up this leaderboard and go ahead and win this thing. So, I, I and then even watching Golf Central afterwards, I expected to see, you know, maybe let the people know a little bit, and they didn't really talk a whole lot about him. It seemed kind of weird, Woody, that uh, 
I would have thought that a first-time PGA Tour winner who had such a great rookie season would have garnered a little bit more, uh, at least spotlight up to this point than uh, than he did by getting his first win over Jordan Spieth and a Bill Good story and Adam Shane. We should have seen this a little bit more coming than what we did because he played really good at terms of players' championship, except for Sunday. He kind of lost a lot of ground there on that Sunday. He went from basically you're looking like a pretty good top 10 to I think tied for 35th or something like that with uh, with his Sunday round. So we should have seen it coming. And here's the problem we got with the PGA Tour is they've got so much invested in the upper echelon guys now that when somebody like Taylor comes along, they don't really know what to say about that. They don't know whether to get all excited about it or to just say, yeah, Jordan Spieth could have won this golf tournament and did. Well, you they know, also haven't done their, their... They haven't done their preparation on him either, clearly. No, no, not at all, Sam. And, 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 I, and again, sometimes, guys, I think the problem with this, this two-tour system that we're going to go to, because it's going to happen, kudos to Taylor, because Taylor is going to solidify. He's going to be one of those 70. I, I truly believe he'll make it. He will be in the upper echelon by next year, so he won't have to worry about it. But we're going to have some other Taylor Morris coming. Just think of all the guys we got out there at Oak Tree, that any one of those guys catches a little heat, does good on the corn ferry, gets the PGA Tour, they could win. But as long as the PGA Tour is going to be so invested in those 70 guys, the stories are so great and we're just not going to get to hear them and see them. And I, I hate that. I just, I don't know. I'm, I sound like I'm disheveled with this cause I am. I just don't, there's things I like, but there's a lot I don't. And one of the things I don't like is that well, there's a lot of Taylor Morris out there. We just happen to know him. He's from Oklahoma, but there's a lot of guys out there liking they're going to make a, a real splash, but the problem is they're hitting a kiddie pool instead of Olympic-sized pool because nobody's giving them enough for their splash, if that makes sense. No, I totally understand that. And by the way, guys, I mean, yesterday put him in the PGA as well as the Masters, obviously, and puts him in pretty good position to get in the U.S. Open and the Open Championship, even though those two aren't quite official yet, but... His schedule has definitely changed, guys. I mean, he's going to Augusta National. I, I don't know what his plans were between now and Augusta, but I'm sure that he might be making a little trip to, to play a practice round. I would uh, before Augusta National. All of a sudden, T-Dub, I, I mean, what would be going through your mind if all of a sudden you have all these things planned out and then you scrap those and say, no, I'm going to Augusta national. I, I mean, you, your mind would have to be going a million miles a second. Well, it's definitely a good problem to have because you're moving up the echelon and right. not down. That makes it a hell of a lot better. I mean, just, just to put it in retrospect, he's currently ninth in the FedEx cup standings top 10 on that. I mean, kidding me? That's absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it, it's almost a shoe in unless he just, uh, doesn't play very good the rest of the year. That he's going to make the Tour Championship, and that's going to be an absolutely one hell of a accomplishment. He's 49th in the in the World Golf Rankings, top 50. We always talk about, even though the system's kind of a little janky right now, it's still being in the top 50 is is the best situation that you could be on. And he's the 35th uh, player analytically, Woody. So I mean, he's absolutely trending up. And I mean, we talk about that he may. You know, this is going to be the last time he wins on the PJ Tour. I think he might win again this year. I wouldn't be a bit surprised, T Dub. I. I this young man has shown us. We talked about this, guys. I know it's been a number of weeks ago. 
how good we thought he was going to be. And we, to a man, each one of us, I didn't even know the guy really that well. You guys know him a lot better than I do. But what I'd seen of him, I really, really liked. So I, I, again, I'm not really sure why he's flying so much under the radar. Nobody's giving him the kudos he deserves. But, you know, funny things happen in golf. If he keeps winning, which I think he will, and he's not going away, he's going to kind of be in a funny kind of way like Max Homa. I don't think he has quite that persona out there in the, in the Twitter world and all that. But you, you watch his rise come with winning, and I, I kind of I see a lot of that in Taylor. I, I don't think he's done. I, I totally agree with you guys. I do not think this is a one flash in the pan. Now, he's in shock right now. He's enjoying the heck out of it. But I, I think he's that kind of player where, yeah, he's going to enjoy this for about 48 hours, and then you know what? He's going to put his nose right back to that grindstone, and he's going to try to go and win again and play well at Augusta. No doubt about it, guys. Let's get into that golf tournament a little bit more from yesterday. Jordan Spieth was rolling bogey-free all the way through 15. He birdied number five, birdied number eight, birdied 14 to tie for the lead at 10 under on 14, and then hits a terrible it's almost like his swing broke down on him coming down the stretch hits a terrible little short iron on 15 uh out to the right and then the very next hole he did get it up and down for par and then the very next hole on 16 he snap hooks uh his tee shot into the left trees makes bogey there um and then bogey's 18 as well he lost almost two shots on the field off the tee yesterday and i think a lot of that was in the last four holes guys george Jordan Speed's swing broke down on him, right? It definitely did. I mean, it was just classic choke job is what it was. I mean, I hate to say it, but it was. And I say I hate to say it. It just uh, it was great to see Taylor Moore do it. And even so, I prognosticated for the year that Speed wouldn't win a tournament this year. And this is one of the reasons why I did it. Because, I mean, like you said, that shot on 15 was almost as bad as the shot on 16 off the tee. I mean, that was not a very good iron shot whatsoever. And then the, the, the horrible three wood into the, the middle of the pond was just absolutely atrocious he said in his post-round interview that he he's been struggling with hitting a low bullet fade and he said he was trying that shot anyway so maybe he was trying to gear himself up for what he could do at a major championship which a lot of good players do so maybe that cost him in, in retrospect maybe if he just hit a shot that he was a little bit more comfortable with instead of trying to test himself he might have been able to actually pull it off but but then also you had the, the short miss putt on 17 as well, the little eight-footer. I mean, classic Jordan Spieth would have made that putt back in 2015. I don't think there's any doubt that he would have. He did make a, a hell of a bogey on 16. At that point, I thought that, that he was actually going to catch team one. We might have had a, a playoff of some sort. But then didn't hit a very good drive on 18, Woody, and then kind of had a lackadaisical three-putt to uh, give Adam Shank a decent amount of, of more cash and FedEx points. So good for Shank in that deal. But, but Spieth definitely – uh, showed that uh, he's not trusting everything he's doing, especially on the uh, the Sunday afternoon of a golf tournament. Back in the days, we used to think about Jordan Spieth where you could count on him down the stretch. Now it's like, well, you can't count on him, but you can't count him out either because the boy has amazing ability to make pars and bogeys from some of the darndest places I've ever seen. Um, I, I just want us to remember one thing, gentlemen. If, if we have another guy that has won – four majors in a shorter period of time as Jordan Spieth is winning everything, doing everything right. 
And then there's some reason they get together with somebody and they say, let's change her swing. Can we just agree to, to maybe agree, disagree, but I think we'll agree. Can we just say, don't be stupid and don't do that. So they, they don't go and have to work back to where they were. Cause some don't find it. He's, he's at least close. Now I think he's going to get back to where he could start winning majors again, but gee whiz, how many years has he wasted gentlemen? What do you, break that down a little bit more because for those of us golf nerds, we've noticed that Jordan Spieth's old swing was a little bit more laid off, and obviously he's always going to have that little chicken wing through the ball. Um, but it does look better aesthetically right now. He, he seems more on plane now. He didn't trust it coming down the stretch, um, but it does look better than it has looked in the past two years when he's really struggled from tee to green. Um, and now it seems like he's at least putting a little better than he has, uh, you know, the past couple of years. But break that down a little bit, what you're talking about, where sometimes, even if it's not great aesthetically, just don't change it. The difference, let's just put two guys out here just for fun, Ricky Fowler and Jordan Spieth. The difference in those two golf swings are the why one changed and one shouldn't. One was proven. One had won major championships. One had done a lot of things. And everybody goes, well, Woody, he putted so good. He wasn't that great a ball striker. Well, guys, you all play golf, and so are our listeners. It's funny, when you get a little kink in your armor, all the armor starts getting kinks. So where before, maybe he wasn't the best ball striker in the world, but he had so much confidence in his putter. Then then when he starts changing his golf swing, now he starts thinking, oh, I'm losing all this. And it goes all the way through your golf game. It's like a domino effect. Ricky Fowler, on the other hand, had not won majors. He had not been able to do the things Jordan Spieth had done. Ricky probably needed to make some changes. If you look at Ricky's swing back when he was played at college when he first got on tour, he had a move that was pretty far out there that would get so flat coming down through the hitting area. He might have had to do that. I agree with what Ricky did. Jordan Spieth, on the other hand, guys, again, I'm not saying he was a world-class ball striker, but you don't win as many golf tournaments as he won, especially major championships, and start looking at your golf swing and going, well, I just, I need to change this. I don't know. I, I, I look at all these young players and they're all looking for this, this thing that isn't out there, this nirvana of this perfect golf swing with just the right spins and just this, just that. Hey, you know what? Just win, baby. What that guy with the Oakland Raiders used to say? That's <laughs> yeah. going to football for Al those Davis. who don't know. Al Davis, just win, baby. That's yeah. what it's about. That, that We can talk about perfection all you want, guys. Just win, baby. That's all I want. T-Dub, we talked about the same thing on our radio show yesterday. Broke down his posture, number one. Obviously, he's made some swing changes on the backswing, uh, getting a little bit more down the line and, and not quite as laid off. But he's standing taller, especially with the driver and closer to the ball. And then as far as on the greens, he's almost a little bit more hunched over. We talked about that last week, wondering if uh, maybe that was kind of causing some back problems at the players coming down the stretch. But do you think that Jordan Spieth will be able to trust this swing, say that he's in contention at Augusta and he's trying to hit a, a tee shot on number 12 at Augusta? I mean, is he really going to trust these changes that he's made? Because yesterday it was clear that he didn't trust anything about that golf swing. 
Yeah, I think he's I think he's pretty close actually. And uh, if if he can just keep getting, I, I think the putter is going to be the main thing because over the last five tournaments he's gained shots uh, approach the green. In the last five tournaments as well, he's gained strokes around the green. So he's chipping and hitting his irons really well. His off the tee is also kind of worrisome. He's actually hitting the ball probably the furthest he has in his career. The problem is he doesn't hit it very straight anymore. Back in 2017 when he was playing his best. He was above average in, in fairway accuracy and still hit it pretty far. And now he's well below the tour average in, in accuracy. So I think that's something very worrisome. Off the tee, he definitely has some worries. Approach to green, he actually gained three shots approach. I didn't think he had very good approach shots coming down the stretch. But up until that point, he had actually hit his irons pretty well. So he, he's getting there. It, it seemed like even at Bay Hill, it, the collapse kind of started to come a little bit earlier, especially with the putter. And, and then it seemed like here that it came a little bit later in the round. So maybe he'll be – I think this match play may be actually good for him coming up because he'll be able to test his nerves on individual matches coming down where there's pressure. So that'll give a little bit more excitement as opposed to just a, a single stroke play round. And then he's going to Augusta, a place that he obviously loves and, and plays has played extremely well in the past. So I don't know, Woody, unless something drastically changes at the match play, I think he has to be a, a guy on, fair, on a lot of people's short list at Augusta. He has to be. Just, just his record is lonely. I mean, even when he's not even playing good, he plays good there. And he's uncanny, you know, where he say horses for courses. He's pretty doggone strong when it comes to that. And great observation, T-Dub, with this match play. I think it gives him a real opportunity to try to hit golf shots, just like what you were saying. Now, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm going to be trying a golf shot on this, 16th hole, which what what the 69th hole of a golf tournament. I'm in the lead or right around the lead. I'm not sure that's the best place to go. I think I'm going to try this and see if I can do it. I might have, uh, uh, you know, just hit a little skank down there. Just give me a chance. <laughs> I I don't know what's going through his mind when he says, "Oh, here's a good hole to try this on." Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, so. He's such a, a confident golfer, though, that he would do that. You know, I wouldn't do that, but he's he's not afraid to try it. So are we going to see Jordan Spieth win this year? Yes, Sam and I both said that. We're going to see him win. He is going to win a golf tournament. Might win a couple of golf tournaments. Will it be a major? I don't know yet. I'm verdict still out on me because I still think he's got too many demons in his head coming down the stretch to win majors. We'll see. It's going to be really interesting. He's very inconsistent so far this year as far as ball striking goes. The putting has definitely been a little bit more consistent than it has been in the past for Jordan Spieth. Let's talk about Tommy Fleetwood, a guy that we talked about on the radio show yesterday, has never won somehow on the PGA Tour, has been a guy up there you know, in major championships and has been a star at the Ryder Cup. Guys, I mean, he... In the final round, we talked about how good Taylor Moore was hitting it in the final round. Gained over three shots, strokes gained approach, gained over four and a half shots, tee to green, and Tommy Fleetwood loses over half a shot, strokes gained approach, hit his irons terrible in the final round. Now, he only made two bogeys, made a bogey on three and a bogey on 14, did shoot a one under par 70, but it seems like different tournament, same story for Tommy Fleetwood, T-Dub, where he's up there in contention and doesn't really make any noise on Sunday. 
Yeah, it was very similar to kind of what Rory did at St. Andrews to let Cam Smith win. It's like you said, sometimes you got to go out and win a tournament. Fleetwood didn't do that. And he actually had a chance up until about 14, hit a horrible shot from the middle of the fairway to the very, very left bunker, then left it in the bunker, hit, had to hit it out, and then wasn't able to make the putt from there. So, it, yeah, I think that's extremely where it cost him. He, he kind of just floated around there, like wasn't going out, taking the bull by the horns, and then all of a sudden that that's where it cost him there and then wasn't able to make – any noise on on 15 through 18 so I, I don't know what it seems like that may be very similar to what we what i prognosticated about hovland is that whenever you get whenever you have the thought in your head of just a location of where to win i mean someone thinks oh well why would you think about that but a lot of times it's there and i think this is the case with tommy fleetwood with winning on the pga tour he's been he's played too good for too long had his ups and downs but he's had too many good stretches of good golf to not have won the pga tour by this point I agree. I mean, you look at look at his golf swing. You look at his play that he's had around the world and how good he can play. Um, uh, they, we've said it a hundred times on this show. It's hard to win on the PGA Tour. You got to have a lot of things fall into place. And it just seems like when Tommy Fleetwood gets around the lead, whether he causes it or the breaks just go against him, whatever it is, he just doesn't seem like he can close the door on a victory. He doesn't seem like he can get there. Um, difference between him and Victor, Victor's still so young. Uh, and not that Tommy Fleetwood is old, but Victor is still so young and so uh, positive about his game. Uh, he's going to win one. I, I mean, if, if he doesn't win one in the United States, I'm I'm going to tell you I might vote Democrat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great line there, Woody. Uh, so, speaking, we talked about speed. We talked about Fleetwood. We got to talk about Adam Shank, uh, one of the greatest names in the history of golf. But he was tied for the lead a lot of the day. I mean, you had Speed, Fleetwood, and Shank all tied for the lead after number 10. And Shank, I mean, he played solid golf from then on. He birdied number 12 and part everything else uh, up until 18. But on 17, obviously was tied at 10 under with Taylor Moore and rolls in, what, an 18-foot par putt on 17? I was rooting for Taylor Moore, so I'm saying, what do we have to do to win a golf tournament here? I mean, this guy, he's botching it around on 17 and then just rolls in an 18-footer for par, but it caught up with him on 18, hit it left next to the tree, had to hit it left-handed, and then ended up making bogey couldn't get that up and down um after punching out guys and taylor moore is your champion but i was actually pretty impressed with what i saw from adam shank from 10 through 17 he he did have some minerals to win the golf tournament it just kind of all caught up with him the fact that he almost lost a, a half shot uh strokes gained approach yesterday didn't hit it you know well off the tee either lost 0.35 t to green in the final round and and i think that it all like i said kind of caught up with him on that 18th tee shot and, and that was the most important shot of his life yeah the putter definitely bailed him out yesterday gained uh 2.5 on the greens which is i mean put absolutely exceptional one of the reasons why he made a 71 foot putt on the 12th hole. I mean, that was a crazy putt. I mean, it was absolutely insane. And then, I mean, the par fives are playing tough, but he wasn't able to take advantage of the par fives 
on the back nine. Didn't he had a very similar bunker shot to what Taylor Moore had on seventeen and didn't hit it particularly well. Hit it out to about twenty feet, but was able to, to make a very very clutch putt there. But then yeah, it's it's it was a pretty bad break to end up against a tree. But at the same time, there's not trees in the middle of the fairway on that on that eighteenth hole. So I mean, you step up and hit a better shot, you don't have to worry about it. But at the same time. Uh, Taylor Moore also hit it left on 18. Didn't hit it as far left, but he was able to have a good shot in. So, I mean, that's just sometimes what they call rub of the green, Woody, where some things like that happen. I'd love to see it because it gave Taylor Moore a win, but had it really been anyone else up there, I would definitely felt a lot more for Adam Shank. You, Yeah, you would. Uh, I think one of the things that we saw there on 18 with his golf swing, and, and, and guys, we, we talk about golf swings all the time, but one thing I do know for sure, when the body stops rotating and the arms and hands pass your body, it's going left. And it's usually going to go a lot more left than you want it to. And if you look at his golf swing on 18, and, and you know, you'd have to slow it down for the, the, the average person to even understand what I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you what, that club gets closed quickly. His body just quit rotating. Whether that was nerves or just a bad swing, I don't know. But nerves have to have something to do with that. Uh, That's why the best players in the world will always tell you, I'm going to get out of the way. I might be late with the club and I might block it, but the last thing I want to do is hit a hook. I do not want my body to stop because Lee Trevino said it best, you can talk to a fade, a hook won't listen. Okay, once it starts going left, it's going big usually. And bad break that it hit the tree, you know. Then uh, you know, it seems like when a guy wins a golf tournament, it hits somebody in the knee and bounces back out into the fairway, or it doesn't go up against the tree. So um, again, we we can talk about how there's ifs and buts, but it was Taylor Moore's tournament to win. He went out and he did the things he needed to, and the others didn't is the way I look at it, okay? You, you called it best, C-Dub. There's a fairway out there that Shank could have hit it in and knocked it on the green and either birdied or two-putt, but he didn't. And Taylor Moore's the victor. Good for him. Taylor Moore is the champion on the PGA Tour, guys. One more guy I want to talk about. My one-and-done pick, Sam Burns, backdoor top six, bogey-free 67 in the final round. Thank you very much to Sam Burns for that. Uh, coming off a couple missed cuts and like a tied for 67th, but it, it's the Valspar. He, he's the king of the Valspar. Finished is solo sixth uh, at the Valspar. Hey, and hey then, Sam. Go ahead. Yeah, wait a minute. You, I hope you're getting ready to talk about Wyndham Clark. That's <laughs> because exactly. I picked Keegan Bradley. And and Keegan Bradley wasn't even playing in the golf tournament, That's, which I was stupid it, enough So if you missed, that. if any of our listeners oh. missed this, Woody picked Keegan Bradley, who was not in the golf tournament, and said, no, you know what? I, I'm just going to take Wyndham Clark, and we'll ride with Wyndham Clark. Wyndham Clark? Finishes fifth in the golf tournament. Woody, great pick. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. For our listeners out there that are loyal listeners that listen to us every week, we know that Woody didn't do well in this picking. So, little kudos to Woodrow that, hey, I'll go with the Cowboy. I went with the Cowboy in the Live tournament, and that didn't work out as good, but I got one with Wyndham Clark. That's beautiful stuff. T-Dub, who do you have in the one and done this week at the Valspar? I had old Justin Rose finish, what he finished, 38th or something like that. So, uh, and a non-elevated event, that's not going to bring you a lot of money. So, uh, congrats, congrats to you guys. Picks probably moved up a, a little bit. And, and we ripped on Woody a, a little harshly because 
Keegan Bradley at one point was in the field of Valspar Championship. He got an illness, I believe, on Tuesday or something like that. So Woody actually wasn't lying when he said a little bit of research. His research was just a little outdated. <laughs> there we go. Which my, my research is always outdated. Bear with me. Hey, another guy that was sneaky top 10 at the Valspar was Justin Thomas. Uh, we got to talk about him real quick, T-Dub, just because we're leading up to Augusta National. The putter has not been cooperating for Justin Thomas. Off the tee, gained strokes. Strokes gained approach. He gained over half a shot. Around the greens, he almost gained a full shot, and he lost strokes uh, putting again this week. What is the deal with Justin Thomas in that putter, T-Dub? Leading up to Augusta, that's got to be a concern for JT fans. Oh, it's 100% a concern. The putter has been absolutely horrible. I mean, especially on the short putts. I mean, when I go back to the Players' Championship and then what I saw – from him just briefly this week at the Valspar. I mean, I've seen him miss, uh, just thinking off the top of my head, eight putts inside five feet. And, I mean, that's just absolutely crazy from a world-class player like he is. And, yes, over the course of really going all the way back to the U.S. Open, this putter has been very, very streaky. And most of the time it's been on the, the wrong side of being streaky. He's lost strokes gained almost over a shot in, like, eight tournaments since then. It's absolutely crazy. I will say this, though. He does have an exceptional record. And I guess he finished eighth last year after shooting like five over in the first round or something like that. He played well, really probably one of the best players in the field on, on the last three rounds. And then it's finished 21st, 4th, 12th, 17th, 22nd there. So he's got an exceptional uh, record there, Woody. But if I don't see something change with the putter at the match play, it's going to be hard to trust that he can go out and win that tournament. Let's just say this. You cannot win the Masters if you're not putting good. I don't think I'm going out on a limb on saying that <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. If you're not putting good, you're not winning at Augusta. With those greens, there is no possible way. So, can he find something that will bode that confidence in two weeks? Uh, wow. Uh, I, I don't see it. I, I just don't see him as a pick at Augusta this, this coming April. I just don't see it. Guys, we talked a lot about in the past uh, PGA Tour events, the elevated events, uh, what the payouts were. This week at this non-elevated event, Taylor Moore still won $1.458 million, guys. And so, great week for Taylor Moore, uh, winning over a million dollars there. Second place gets uh, just over 800000 there. So, just because it's not it's a non-elevated event doesn't mean these guys are just getting paid scraps, right? This is like winning a, a PGA Tour event any other year. Um, the, the elevated events are just worth a whole lot more money this year uh, than even that is. But just an awesome, we talked about him getting in the Masters and the PGA and, and probably in the U.S. Open and the Open Championship. But he also won $1.4 million, guys. That is big time. Couldn't be happier for Taylor Moore from Oklahoma City. Woody, speaking of Oklahoma City, what is the best bank in Oklahoma City? We know what that best bank is. It's Quail Creek Bank, located at 122nd and North Bank. Always we go with Quail Creek. No ATM fees, great small business loans, great bank in general if you just like a family-owned, family-run bank. It's not about the major corporations at Squirrel Creek Bank. It's about you, the individual that lives in the Oklahoma City, Edmond area. They want to take care of you. They want to be your bank. If you want that kind of bank, Squirrel Creek Bank is the bank for you. 
Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. It's time to take a break here, but after the break, we're going to dive into a wild tournament at Live Golf Tucson. So stay with us here on the 73rd hole of the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McRae Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McRae Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRaeRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McRae Roofing for your free inspection today. back here on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma go get all of your local golf news from our friends kim mcleod and chris swaffer doing a great job at golf oklahoma we'll talk a little bit about college golf in a minute here guys but golf oklahoma will also be covering live golf tulsa when it comes to cedar ridge in may but they were in tucson over this past weekend and danny lee survives the four-man playoff what a wild tournament this was guys but danny lee is a familiar name because he was at one time the youngest winner of the u.s amateur back in 2008 he won at the age of 18 then been on went on to win at Cedar Ridge and Southern Hills uh, when he was 17, won the USAM in Tulsa to break that record. But at one time, Danny Lee did have the record of youngest winner of the USAM. And then, guys, he turns pro and really kind of a disappointing professional career for Danny Lee. He wins in 2015 at the Greenbrier, uh, you know, one on the web.com, I think one time, but Danny Lee had one of the greatest quotes after this tournament, guys. He said, quote, I thought that winning just wasn't my thing and today changed that. It was a really cool scene on that 18th hole in the third hole of the playoff after Danny Lee, Texas, wedges it in. By the way, shout out to everybody who likes a little Texas wedge. He just rams it right into the flagstick and it drops to win $4 million, T-Dub. We can break down this tournament. We had a, another classic you know, sneaky choke by Louis Eustazen, but then he birdies 18 uh, to get into the four-man playoff. We had a lot of stuff going on around it, but I wanted to start off with how great of a story it is to see Danny Lee in the winner's circle again. It truly is, yeah. He's been, uh, kind of lost his game there for a little bit, it seemed like. I mean, just was, I mean, was kept playing on the PGA Tour, but just never was making any noise. His short game really, really dipped off, too. I mean, his, oh, and his putting, too. Really, anytime he got inside about 30 yards, his game got bad. He's always had a really great swing. Uh, he used to be one of the better iron players 
on a PGA Tour and used to be in the top, I believe, quarter or so in driving accuracy. And he was an extremely good putter. And now he's got the belly putter. And we saw a little bit of that come out with, with not a very good stroke on, what was it, the third or second playoff hole. So the, the hole before he ended up winning the playoff, he had a five or six footer, a little downhill left to right to win the tournament. And didn't even touch the hole. You could tell also, too, by how, how hard he hit the putt that he pushed it. It wasn't a situation where he didn't play enough break. And you could even tell he kind of left the face open a little bit. But it was a pretty intense uh, little four-way playoff there. You had Carlos Ortiz in there, Brendan Steele, and Louis Ustazen. And, and he had our man Charles Howe only finish uh, one outside of the playoff. But Woody, I think our man Charles has to be kicking himself. I mean, he played the par threes yesterday at five over par, made a triple on the eighth hole, and then made a bogey on 14 and 16 coming in, left it in the bunker on one hole. And, and Sam was telling us how he got pretty frustrated, didn't even know that Charles had that uh, going on, didn't even know he was able to get back at any point in his life, let alone on the golf course. So I think Charles has to be kicking himself. He could have easily won uh, back-to-back lift tournaments, which would have been the first time that had ever happened. He sure could have. And, and it, well, you know, when you're saying – you couldn't believe Charles got mad when he left that ball in the bunker and then hit another bunker shot that he didn't like that he kind of went to Sergio after it. Charles is a competitor. He might seem like he's a quiet, docile kind of guy, but I, you don't play golf for a living for as long as he is without being pretty much a competitor, and you'll get pissed. I know he will, and, and good. I hate to see him happen, but I, I knew he was a competitor. Danny Lee, on the other hand, guys, what was it, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, so whatever, when the genesis was, that they had a picture of him at a driving range hitting off mats trying to find something, which to me is what's the greatest thing about golf. Uh, he left the PGA Tour to go to live right after that tournament that he played in, the genesis, because Kevin Na invited him onto his team. He didn't get any front upfront money. Uh, Danny Lee was not paid any upfront money. He just went because Kevin Na invited him on his team. So we were chuckling when we weren't on the air that you guys were talking about how did none of us pick Danny Lee? Well, I can honestly tell you if you'd have given me 40, well, maybe 45 picks, it wouldn't have been one of him. So, I mean, <laughs> to think that he wins the, the golf tournament is why we love golf. Because anybody that plays golf, just keep the faith. Keep the faith, guys, because right around the corner is the best week of your life. Just keep the faith. If you do that, it'll happen. It'll come to you. Just keep in there pitching and struggling because everywhere you look, there's people out there struggling at this game, and then all of a sudden they catch a little fire and dang leaves $4 million richer. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, guys, we talked about how hard the Valspar was playing this week. The Gallery Golf Club on the Live Golf Tour was playing just as hard this week. Anytime you get wind on a desert-style course, it's really hard to keep the ball in the fairway. And we saw a lot of guys messing up off the tee boxes. And it's not like TPC Scottsdale where you hit it in the desert and still have a shot. If you hit it in the desert here, you're probably going to be in a bush somewhere with the rattlesnakes. We'll get to the rattlesnakes in a minute. But nine under, uh, four-way tie for first at nine under, uh, I mean, gosh, guys, there's a lot of great players on the Live Golf Tour, and no one could break 10 under par. And to me, I mean, guys, I, I think that this week it was the two toughest golf courses we've seen in professional golf so far this year, and it was really impressive uh, for Danny Lee to go out and win a tournament like that. I think if he was going to win a tournament like that, it's probably not his cup of tea to go out and shoot 
20 under for three rounds, guys. I think he had to find a course like this that, you know, he was able to just kind of fairway and green everybody to death. And uh, that's what he did and then survived the playoff, T-Dub. But the golf courses were, were top notch this week, not only at Innisbrook, but the Gallery Golf Club as well. Well, not only were the two courses um, fairly difficult, but the conditions set up for them to play tough too. There was a good amount of wind that was blowing at really both places at uh, at the Gallery Club. You see the wind was blowing. It kind of died off a little bit towards the end of the playoff, but it was blowing upwards of 15 to 20 a good most of the day, which uh, on a course like that where, you know, like I said, the fairways aren't the narrowest in the world, but if you miss it and you, you get off of them, you're going to be penalized very heavily. You're going to more than likely have to take some sort of unplayable lie, even if you're able to even find your ball, you might get bit by the rattlesnakes as you alluded to, Sam, and I think no one wants that. So I think that's one thing, Woody, that we've seen continuously on the slim, and I think we're going to continue to see it even going forward, is that these guys want a tough test of golf, and it continues uh, week in, week out, that it's on a, a very, usually very pristine golf course, and also it's going to give a, a pretty challenging test. I truly believe that live golf courses they pick, and you can look at what they're going to play this year, including Cedar Ridge and Tulsa, they pick hard golf courses, gentlemen. They don't shy away from hard golf courses. And it it was right up Dang Lee's alley as far as you guys are talking because with the putting stroke and the mind he has with putting, the putter he's using, he's not a guy that's going to fill it up. He, he's a guy that needs a very tough test of golf. And Liv is consistently giving their viewers, which, by the way, guys, it was a much better broadcast this time than it was last time. It was easy to find. It was it was fun to watch. Uh, you got, you know, I still think what's really cool is uh, I love listening to Faraday again. And Faraday not having a, uh, a muzzle on him is really fun. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I watch both events. I did. I'm, I'm very much a golfer, but I really enjoyed Watching Taylor would have been the only reason why I really like basketball, to be honest with you. Watching our guy win was the reason why I got into it, really kind of watching it. But I really like to live, really like to live tournament. No doubt about it, guys. Let's talk about Louis Eusthazen. Had a two-shot lead after birdieing 11 and 12 and then part 13, but missed a shorty on 14 and then missed another 10-footer on 16. Uh, for pars on both those holes. So he bogeys 14 and 16 and then spins it off the front of the green on the par 5 17th and bogeys it and then has to make an immaculate birdie on 18 just to get in the four-man playoff along with Brendan Steele and Carlos Ortiz and obviously Danny Lee. But we've seen this before from Louis Eusthazen, whether it be at Torrey Pines or, you know, we could go on down the list of, you know, different times he's been in contention, whether it be at Augusta with Bubba Watson. He's always right there, it seems like. But Louis Eusthazen, for some reason, coming down the stretch, T-Dub, just doesn't have the minerals to win golf tournaments for some reason. Yeah, he has the anti-win syndrome going on uh, as of this moment. And, I mean, the last time he won, guys, was back in the uh, the fall or the December of 2018, the South African Open. So, I mean, that's at any level. That's a DP World Tour, the PGA Tour. And he's contended in so many tournaments. He's been there, been top five, finished second, runner-up so many times. But just for whatever reason, cannot break down that barrier and, and, and get that win for whatever reason. I mean, he's collected a lot of money, and, and obviously the golf swing is still as immaculate as ever. But it just, if for whatever reason, there's just something there that's not allowing him 
to get over and hunt because, as you alluded to, Sam, bogey in 14 and 16 and then making a horrendous bogey on 17. He was a decent ways out in the middle of the fairway and had to lay up and just made an absolute debauchery of the hole after that. But it was good, it was good to see him hit a great shot in there in 18 and make a birdie and then kind of got lucky on a, on a few times in the in the playoff, kind of hit some snap hooks, which is, as Woody was saying uh, during our break, I mean, how in the world that swing can hit duck hooks is beyond me, but somehow he didn't. He got away with it a couple of times, just wasn't able to capitalize like Danny Lee was. So I don't know, Woody, do you have any uh, any reasoning as to why Louie just hasn't been able to get that win in quite some time? I don't, but with these paths and time that he's in the gun there, under the gun, or had the chance and he doesn't get there, uh, we we talked about it a lot where that scar tissue starts building up. Um, I look, if, if Ustazen does win again, he will come from way back and he will do it after basically he can't give one away. And uh, I don't know where it'll be. It might not ever be. But that's the way it's going to look to me because it seems like when he knows he's right there, he he's just not doing the things that I think he's just not the same guy down the stretch yeah I agree with you I mean even look at his major championships I I, I mean it seems like you know the one that he won the first ever one that he won at St. Andrews he just kind of ran away from the field there was no real pressure on him coming down the stretch and so uh, yeah, I mean, we've seen it time and time again from Louis Oosthuizen that he puts himself in those positions every single year, and it's rare that we see Louis Oosthuizen close it out. And so, I don't know, that's kind of a tough thing to say out loud, but at the same time, I'm just going based off what I've seen from Louis Oosthuizen in the past under pressure, and it hasn't looked good. It looks like a completely different golfer, a guy that is almost scared to win at certain times. Um, after... So Charles Howell, he triples number eight, and right around that same time, Brendan Steele bogeys number eight and then doubles number 10 to go one over on the round. Now, then he needed help from not only Charles Howell, but he needed help from Louis Oosthuizen as well, and he birdies 12 and he birdies 15, and all of a sudden, guys... He's tied for the lead at nine under par, headed into 18, makes par on 18. But then Brendan Steele in the playoff, guys, couldn't keep the driver on the face of the planet. Hit one, got lucky that he didn't go in the bushes in the desert, and then hit it in the right bunker and really never gave himself a good chance at birdie. And turns out that it just wasn't enough to uh, to just make pars on all three of those playoff holes, T-Dub. Yeah, it was pretty crazy to see his driver kind of not hit the best drives in the playoff because that's usually the best part of his game. Every single year he was on the PGA Tour, he gained shots off of the tee, one of the, the longest hitters out there. And over the last, like, eight seasons, he had a lot of fairways, too. You even heard uh, when they were interviewing Phil walking up the fairway during the playoff talking about how great of a driver he was and a great addition. He, he's been on the team. And, you know, Brenda, like you said, he made that double on, on 10 that, that really cost him. And uh, you would have thought that, that maybe, because very similar to Danny Lee, they joined at about the same time. So uh, he would have been a very recent uh, player joined Liv who would have won. So that would have been kind of cool to see. Another guy who I'm looking at who, who because you were talking about guys who needed to fall back for Danny Lee to win, Carlos Ortiz had to do the same. He really went out and shot 65 yesterday, but he, he doubled the 10th hole, which was the, the hardest hole on the golf course. So, I mean, but at any time a double is not good, especially because he started on 15. So that would have been, what, his 14th hole, 15th hole, something along those lines. So he, he needed a lot. That's at a point to where he's already playing so good and making that really cost him. He was able to birdie 12 and then had a really good uh, two-putt on his last hole, 14. 
uh, to get him in that playoff. But uh, I don't know what he is. It seems like Danny Lee, we, we, we remember the Texas wedge off the green, but there was a lot of guys who could have won this term, and they're kicking themselves that they didn't win that $4 million. Uh, if they're not, they're, they're crazy. But what I am seeing about the live tour, though, that it's interesting to me is the guys that are coming, the newbies that are coming out, are having success pretty quickly. Uh, you know, Brendan Steele, Danny Lee, of course, just came on board. Uh, so obviously something about going to that tour that those guys are comfortable because they immediately go out there and play some pretty good golf. Now, not everybody, but, but for the most part, the, the, the guys that are coming on to that tour, the newer editions uh, tend to come out of the box playing pretty well. So I, I, I will say this, that that is a hard golf course, gentlemen. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it or not, but it's, it's up in the kind of the mountains, and it is, it is a lot more difficult than you think. Tucson does not get the same weather as Phoenix. There is more wind in, in Tucson than there is in Phoenix, and so that tends to bring a little bit of a different type of atmosphere in a golf course that, Oh, I guess you can call it bring some train wrecks. Having never played for $4 million, I'm not sure there's a fairway wide enough for me to hit it in or a green big enough for my ball to get on. So I'm dang sure not going to sit in my armchair and question those guys coming down the stretch for that kind of money. But they didn't. They're going to they're gonna wake up today and they're going to think back at a lot of those shots that they gave away. I know they will. No doubt about it. And you mentioned the double bogey by Carlos Ortiz. But he did win the golf tournament for the Fireballs, guys, because Eugenio lopez Chikara in round three shot two over. Sergio shot two over after being in contention, shooting three under, six under in the first two rounds, then a two over in the final round. Abe Anser shot one over. The Fireballs wouldn't have won this golf tournament if it weren't for what Carlos Ortiz did, shooting six under in the final round, guys, and they end up winning by four shots over the four aces who went crazy in the final round, shot 11 under as a team. Peter Uline, three under. Patrick Reed, five under. Dustin Johnson, three under. Uh, Pat Perez got dropped, and he shot one under par, like we said, on a tough golf course. Uh, So I guarantee you that... Carlos Ortiz was not buying dinner. It was probably one of those other three guys on the fireballs, T-Dub. That was really impressive for him to kind of vault his team. It was bittersweet because he did lose out on the playoff on the first hole after missing the six-foot putt. But you kind of saw with that interview afterwards, he was almost wanting to cry that he you know, didn't win the tournament individually, but he was also happy that the fireballs got their second win on Live Golf. Yeah, because if he had shot I mean, he shot six under yesterday. Had he shot what two under or so? I mean, they wouldn't have won because no one else on the fireball shot uh, even broke par. You had answer as you alluded to one over. Uh, Sergio and Chikara both shot two over. So yeah, he absolutely backpacked yesterday. It was pretty, pretty, pretty cool to see. And one thing I noticed, even with uh, with the Ironheads with Danny Lee, is just how excited his teammates got when he won. I think that was really something cool to see. And I think. Woody, I think a lot of people kind of joked it off that everyone just left for the money, but it seems like these guys and the majority of these players are really embracing this team aspect. I think that's why I'm embracing this live golf. And, and don't get me wrong, I like the individual part of the tournament also. But, you know, those, that team atmosphere is what, I don't know, I think a lot of people, if they'll just give that a chance, it'll be fun for them to kind of get tied into that and, and, and kind of root 
for a, a squad that, that maybe you don't like everybody on it, but you do like somebody on it and want them to do well. So, um, and you can see how fast and furious that can become. Like the four aces, they didn't look like they were going to be any threat at all. And then all of a sudden, wham, bam, that last round, they bang, 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 and they're right there. So with three scores counting, guys, a lot can change. And that, that's an element that I'm not sure the public's given enough uh, credit to yet and enjoying watching that because it will change drastically when you count three scores. No, no doubt about that, Woody. And in that final round, uh, the Ironheads only, I, I mean, I say the final round, it was all three rounds. The Ironheads who finished third in the team event, so they were on the pedestal as far as the teams getting paid. I mean, they were playing with three guys, Kevin Na, Scott Vincent, and Danny Lee, obviously. I mean, Kevin Na finished at seven under. Scott Vincent finished at three under. And obviously, Danny Lee wins the golf tournament at nine under. Siwon Kim, their fourth guy, finished 19 over for the golf tournament. So they finish on the pedestal. But, guys, they were playing with three guys, T-Dub. That's incredible to me. I mean, the best round Siwon Kim shot was four over. I mean, are you, are you kidding me? You're absolutely right. I mean, they played... You talk about putting putting the team on your back for for those three guys. Absolutely crazy. And may, maybe C1 Kim has to, has to come out and play good these upcoming events to kind of redeem himself there because or you do not see play. that very often. <laughs> I, that, that is a very good point. Yeah, these teams are definitely uh, not secure in that aspect. So if, uh, if there could be uh, some volatility on, on that end, but at the same time, getting up on the pedestal to whenever you only have three players is pretty crazy considering – uh, they also cleared the pedestal by three shots. It's not like they only won by one or two. I mean, they went out and beat uh, those three with three players, beat every other team except for two. So, I mean, Woody, that's a pretty damn good accomplishment. I'm wondering if they shouldn't on the pedestal, you know, like in the Olympics, the, the gold sits higher and the silver and then the bronze. Maybe they should have that, like Danny Lee's a little higher and it goes down the list, and then we'll see Wu Kim this week. Maybe he needs C1. to be under. Hey, don't let C Wu catch a stray bullet C1. here. This is C Wan Kim. Yeah. No, not C Wu. That's right. I don't want to bar- barbecue C Wu Kim, but maybe he should be under the pedestal. You know, where you go, okay, give me, give me my 125000 Thanks a lot, but I'm going to just kind of hide over here. So. Uh, you know, he had a bad week. Well, who knows what was going on with him. Maybe that golf course just had his numbers. So it will be interesting to watch what happens because will this live golf league, will these leagues become, you know, kind of uh, uh, like other sports where we have free agents? Will we Will we see a guy get fired? <laughs> you know, you suck. You don't get to play with us anymore. We're going to go get this guy. So get relegated like soccer be, or something like that. I think yeah, you're going to start think, seeing that. It would be kind of – wouldn't that kind of be fun, too? You never know. I mean, everything we're seeing about this, if, if you can just embrace it, it is kind of entertaining, isn't it? When you really think about it, this is entertaining. No doubt, and I love the fact when Danny Lee makes that putt from off the green, his teammates instantly start, you know, dousing him with champagne. I, I thought that that was a really cool aspect. It's something that you don't really see on the PGA Tour. Now, obviously, there's always great moments after guys win on the PGA Tour. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think it's really entertaining on live when a guy wins and his teammates kind of swarm around him, uh, and obviously uh, that got them up into the top three. 
three, like T-Dub said, that final round that Danny Lee shot. Uh, speaking of some other bad final rounds from teams, the High Flyers were up there. That's Phil's team, by the way. We're up there in the lead, even at certain points in that final round. And they shot six over as a team in that final round, even with Brendan Steele's one under in that final round. And Cameron Tringali, I mean, he struggled, especially on his second nine, shooting three over for the final round. And uh, Phil Mickelson, I mean, he cost his team as well because James Pyatt, who is their fourth guy, the young guy who we've seen in the U.S. Amateur, he shot six over in the final round which meant that Phil Mickelson's four over counted. And so they shoot six over as a team. They get passed up by a ton of people. They actually finished sixth in the golf tournament. The Stingers and the Rippers tied for fourth. Uh, and so, guys, I mean, there is some, I mean, there's some big swings that happen in this team event. I enjoy watching the team event, but I played college golf. Maybe I'm biased, T-Dub, but I think it's really entertaining to keep up with coming down the stretch, especially a team like the Four Aces shooting 11 under and the High Flyers shooting six over. I think it's cool how you have those type of swings, and it makes guys that aren't in the golf tournament individually uh, in that final round kind of care about the final round. I think that that's a, a good aspect of, of live, even though a lot of people like to make fun of it. A hundred percent is. I mean, you have someone like, like Abe answer who, who really didn't have his best stuff the second and third round, but yet, you know, he was still trying on every shot to, uh, to make sure that he had his team. You know, we talk about Jordan Spieth and kind of trying that shot on the 16th hole. I mean, if you're in a team aspect, you probably don't do that stuff, right? Because you know that you're you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for an overall team in general. So, yeah, I absolutely 100% agree. And, you know, just want to give, give it up to both of us, Sam. I think we both prognosticated pretty well yesterday on the radio show that the high flyers who were in third going in the final round were going to kind of fall back, and, and that ended up happening. And also going back to the point that, that you guys were talking about earlier about relegation and getting trades and all that, I mean, I kind of feel like we already have that with Liv, right? I mean, like Kenny Duplessis, who finished second in the first Liv event, isn't on Liv anymore. We had uh, our, our man TG go go from the four aces to the range goat. So, I mean, I, I feel like Liv has already kind of incorporated all that. I think it's just a, a question yeah. of when we start seeing that stuff in season. Well, and I think it's different. Last year, obviously, the teams weren't set in stone, so it wasn't teams trading with each other. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that that's kind of what we'll see. Like, for instance, um, if C1 Kim got uh, knocked off of the uh, – if he got benched, basically, for the Ironheads, the Ironheads still own his rights. Like, just like an NBA team, if they sent a guy to a, to the G League. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that, you know, last year we saw Live Golf basically saying, no, you're gone as a league, but I think you're going to start seeing teams have guys up their sleeve. You know what I mean? Like in the on deck circle saying, if you play bad, this guy's coming in. Uh, and, and I think you're going to start seeing it that way in the future. And I think that that's another aspect that people could kind of think is really cool about this team aspect and kind of have the same off season trades as the NBA or the NFL and, and ha kind of have an interesting in season dynamic there and maybe have a trade deadline and things like that. There's a lot of different ways you could go with it. I just like the team aspect watching the golf tournament because of all the reasons I laid out before. But anyway, so it was the fireballs getting the victory at live golf Tucson. The four aces finished second, the iron heads finished third and Danny Lee obviously gets the win over Carlos Ortiz, Brendan Steele, and Louis Oosthuizen. Charles Howell 
finishes fifth in the golf tournament. Mito Pereira had a nice four-under final round. He finishes tied for seventh uh, with Matt Jones and Kevin Na and Sergio Garcia as well, guys. So it was an entertaining tournament. I wouldn't say it was one of the more entertaining live events, but it was, if I'm not mistaken, was that the first playoff we've had for an individual live event? Maybe I'm wrong about no, that. No, no, we've had... No, we had – remember Dustin Johnson last year won it in was Boston. Was that in a playoff? In the playoff? I couldn't remember. I, okay, yeah, I, I couldn't remember if that was the last hole of the tournament or if that was a playoff. Okay, so we have had individual playoffs. We still haven't had a team playoff yet. I wonder what the format would be for that, T-Dub. I, I remember reading it somewhere, but I don't have it in front of me, so I don't want to don't want to say what it was. But I remember uh, – I, like, I don't even want to get into it, but I know they have that figured out. I just can't yeah. remember what it is. Well, guys, anyways, Live Golf is going to Orlando next on March 31st through April 2nd. That is the week before the Masters. They'll be playing at Orange County National in Orlando. A lot of guys will be getting ready for Augusta National. Guys, I mean, we saw some glimpses of great things from Phil. We saw, you know, some glimpses in that final round of solid things from DJ. Cam Smith isn't necessarily playing his best golf. I mean, I I think that, you know, you saw glimpses of things from Sergio. He's won at Augusta National. Some glimpses of things from Mark Leishman at times as well. Uh, you kind of see these Sergios or these these Phil Mickelsons kind of getting up for the Masters, right, T-Dub? Yeah, you can tell they're definitely motivated. That was one thing we also talked about uh, on the radio show was how these guys will be motivated to to want to perform at a major. I believe that, you know, Liv will highly be highly incentivize these players to do good in the majors because it's going to look really good on them if one of these players is able to win. But, yeah, whenever you have your big dogs like Cam Smith, Dustin Johnson, DJ did play a little bit better the final two rounds, so maybe he'll come into his zone. But, yeah, still not really contending for those tournaments, someone like Joaquin Neiman, who is a young guy who they got off, who they got off uh, from the PGA Tour, is, didn't play particularly well. He finished down around 36. So I mean, they, they may live need some of these other guys to keep playing better. But it's also good that even some of their other guys are are, are still coming up and, and playing well and showing that they're they got some game. But but yeah, we need need to see. Uh, Orlando's going to be a pretty big event for me because only the week before the Masters, you know who's going to be in pretty good form, Woody. So, and, and, and in all retrospect, I'm not sure the Gallery Club is a very similar track to what Augusta National is. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not. Uh, but I'm still, when I think of the Masters right now, uh, none of the live guys are jumping to the top of my heap. Um, you're right. Maybe, maybe when they play in Orlando, if I see DJ or Cam Smith or one of those guys really start to take some kind of big steps towards striking it pretty good. But right now, it's still to me, it's Scheffler, it's Rom, it's uh, Rory, uh, you know, JT, maybe if he can get his putter, which who knows. But right now, the live guys don't, don't come on my radar. Hey, I agree with that, Woody. The one thing I would say is we've only seen the live guys in two events. We've seen the PGA Tour guys in a lot of events, and I, I think that part of that might be the fact that these guys are a little rusty over the off season, and part of it might be that these PGA Tour guys have played in more tournaments. They're more, uh, you know, competitive ready. And there's a big difference between tournament golf and just golf at home uh, when you're practicing for uh, 
whether it be a live event or the major championships. And so I think it, like T-Dub said, the Orlando live golf event is going to be a great barometer of who's playing well on live leading into the masters guys. We saw something really interesting in Tucson this week. There were some massive rattlesnakes basically where the crowd was walking in the desert. Woody, I have a question for all of these golf fans. Is it bad etiquette for me when my playing competitor hits one into the native grass and I say, look, I'll give it a courtesy look from outside the native grass, but I'm not going in there knee high in some native grass to go find your golf ball when there's it's snake infested and there's a possibility I'm getting bit by a rattlesnake over there because you snap hooked one into the stuff. I think Sam's 100% right on that. I mean, you should have hit it in the damn fairway. That's my opinion. And I would I would feel the same way if I hit it over there. I would. I might not even look for my own damn ball, let alone risk someone else trying to look for theirs. I mean, no, absolutely no way. I mean, I mean, maybe if, there, if, if you know for 100% fact, if it's just in some trees or something, and, and you know maybe the worst thing you'll find is a tick or something like that, then, then uh, you go ahead and probably look for the ball. But no, Woody, whenever you get snakes involved, especially poisonous snakes, I'm not touching out the hundred foot pole. I don't care how good of friends we are. Well, and I think there's there's the stipulation you have to put on it, Sam. If there is something in that bush or something in those woods that can kill me, well, I'm not going in. That's <laughs> your fault. You go in. That's now, right. if there's something in there that'll get my blood pressure up and scare the dog dump out of me, but not kill me, I might make a little more of an effort. But when you talk about rattlesnake or copperheads or lions or tigers or bears oh my no i'm not going in there forget it yeah i've heard that a lot and and people are always like you you need to go look for your playing competitor's ball not always if and especially if you're not playing in a tournament just tell your buddy hey i don't even care just just drop one without a stroke penalty i don't care i'm not walking in there if you're just playing for fun with your buddies i am not going into the woods with the lions and tigers and bears like what he just said i don't care if it's bad etiquette or not I'll go in there for my ball, but I'm not going in there for T-Dub or Woody's ball. I'm sorry, guys. I may not, like I said, I may not even go in for my own damn ball. And it, the point of it is that it's, if it's not a tournament, there's absolutely zero chance. There's zero chance if it is a tournament. But there's even bigger 0% chance. If it's just a, a BS round you're out playing, there's no way I'm going to look for that ball. Literally zero. So, no, I mean, that is. Uh, there's lines that can be drawn in the sand and whenever there is uh if there's something that can kill me without my own approval i I, i'm not going to approve of it and so i'm staying away from the rattlesnakes like i said i don't care how good of friends we are drop it i don't really care what you do but keep me away from uh, where you hit your golf ball which is where the rattlesnakes uh, i guess are laying their eggs and having their fun woody i know that as much golf as you have played you have some story about snakes or something while looking for a golf ball on a golf course right uh, yeah, of course, you know how that goes. But I was out in California where there were rattlesnakes at my club where I was head pro called Wood Ranch, and uh, I didn't—I don't like snakes. You guys think I'm this outdoorsman that goes and plays with these kinds of things? No, I mean, I, if it's a snake, I'm going the other way. And my assistant, and there was a guy that was a member there named Rick Deeds that was a big time personality on the radio at the time. They knew I definitely ill of snakes. So they had this funny idea that they were going to put one 
that was dead in my ball part where I get my golf ball oh, out of my bag. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you something. I reached in there, and uh, it, it, it sent me right up through the ceiling almost. And But you know what they say, paybacks are hell. Well, there was this day that Rick Deeds and my buddy Kyle Beaver, who was my pro, were playing together, and we were all playing together. Well, my superintendent had killed about a six-foot rattlesnake that he had cut the head off of it. But this snake was the biggest snake I had ever seen. Well, it took all of my moxie to do this, but I kept that snake hidden from them. And when the time was right, what I did is I wrapped it around the uh, – accelerator brake of the cart they were driving because I knew my assistant Kyle always just jumped in the cart you know and he'd just drive off you know you never looked well I wrapped that thing around there and he jumped in and pressed the, the gas pedal and that snake fell on him <laughs> it seemed like a real good idea at the time when I did it little did I know though here's that backfired on me he jumped out of the cart and so Drake D's well, he'd hit this accelerator so hard, guys, it was on a little slope. And the cart went down and went into a little ravine where there was a creek. So we had to go get my superintendent <laughs> with a chain to pull the cart out. So it, it was one of those bad news, good news. I did scare the hell out of them, though, too. So it worked out real well. So I would tell anybody out there, if you're going to play a trick on somebody with a snake, uh, just be aware that it caused some damage to a card if you're not careful. <laughs> that is a great story, Woody. I think we all have had some great practical jokes played on each other all the time we've spent on golf courses. I've, I've seen carts driven into bunkers. I've seen them driven onto chipping greens. I, I've heard, you know, T-Dove driving carts over creeks uh, at certain places. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard it all uh, with golf carts. I've never actually heard a song <laughs> <laughs> you being the guy that pulled the practical prank, uh, being stuck with a snake and then having to get his card out of a ravine. That's that's big time, Woody. Um, one more thing I want to get to, guys. We talked on the radio show, guys, about Scotty Scheffler's Champions Dinner menu, and he was asked in 2020 uh, if he were ever to win the Masters, what would we expect on the Champions Dinner menu? Uh, and he said, I don't know. I like food. So I got a lot of stuff, cheeseburgers, some steaks, stuff like that. Well, it turned out to be absolutely true. He has the cheeseburger sliders, the firecracker shrimp, the tortilla soup with the Texas ribeye steak, or the blackened redfish with family-style mac and cheese, jalapeno cream corn, fried Brussels sprouts, seasoned fries, and then the warm chocolate chip skillet cookie, guys. T-Dub and I, we both said we love this menu. T-Dub, what, what else did you say you might put on that menu? I said that just leave it how it is. Scotty Scheffler and I have the same taste in food. Um, and then Woody, after T-Dub gives his menu, what would your menu be if you were ever lucky enough to win the Masters? Oh, well, the things I would change on the menu were, and it's mostly, mostly rock solid, but I would change the tortilla soup. I think we could do... A little bit better on, on that aspect, especially because there's an avocado, and I'm not a big avocado fan. Huge fan of the firecracker shrimp, though, with the sweet Thai chili and the sriracha mayo. Oh, I mean, I, I might just eat all of that and then maybe take the rest of the to-go box or something like that. But uh, actually, biggest complaint I have on this, Woody, is it says here, Texas ribeye steak or blackened redfish. What if I want both? Can I have both? 
Well, I bet you can. I, I'm sure there's no uh, uh, rules as what they can eat. Do you guys realize, though, you know what night that dinner falls on, right? Tuesday night. Exactly. Why would it be on Tuesday night? <laughs> because no one wants the shits during the Thursday actual round. It's at least Wednesday, Wednesday's a practice round. Oh, there you go. Whatever they eat, there's a real chance it might not be somebody's favorite. Now, rumor has it that I've heard. Uh, now, I've never been there. Of course, I've never been to the Champions Dinner. But rumor has that there are sometimes that guys have a menu that is not quite what everybody's looking for. And I've heard that there's some other options available if you don't quite like what the guy is serving. Okay? So it can it can be different types of deal. I know when uh, Sandy Lyle won, he served Haggis. What is now, that? I don't know. You guys, yeah, I didn't think you'd know what it was. And I don't know exactly what it is. It has something to do with with the guts of a goat and a lamb. And it is served, it's a Scottish dish. And I got one served to me one time. Now, I didn't even take a bite of it because the smell of it made me gag. I couldn't even imagine eating this. So, I still believe that's one of the reasons why people in Scotland have such bad teeth is what they eat. Demony Christmas. So I'm out. I'm out on that kind of stuff. So if, he, if I would have happened to have been at that dinner, I would love to find somebody that was at that dinner and what was the other option that was served because I, they got to. When you when you serve a haggis, yeah, you should be uh, run out of Augusta for that. <laughs> well, 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 here, I, here, guys, guys, I have the ingredient list for haggis right okay, here. Listen, here this is absolutely nuts. This is absolutely nuts. Haggis is a savory pudding containing sheep's pluck, which is heart, liver, and lungs. Oh mixed God. with onion, oatmeal, soup, spices, and salt. Mixed with stock and cooked while traditionally encased in the animal's stomach. Are you absolutely kidding me? How the hell could anyone eat that? That sounds horrible. <laughs> well, like I said, I told you it was nasty. I, I wasn't lying. Oh, my gosh. No wonder Bubba Watson said this past week that he normally eats two burritos every single year before the champion's dinner because he's picky about what he eats and he doesn't know what's going to be served. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. That is brutal. I've never heard that story, Woody. That's crazy telling you but i he was I, trying I still to pull one over on everybody else and guys i mean what do you i mean what would you have on your menu oh i i'm, I'm an oklahoma boy i i'm gonna have steak uh for sure uh, now whether you have a filet or a ribeye i don't everybody's different when it comes to that kind of meat i uh, i do like sushi so i might throw it in uh, early on um but I'm a, I'm a kind of a, would have still, even though I don't do it like I used to, but a meat and potatoes, if I'd ever won Augusta when I was younger, I was going to be that kind of guy. I love his little sliders. Uh, that's a great idea. Some kind of really procedure salad. I like those. So I'm basic as I'll get out. One thing I will not serve is something in a guts and something stomach. I will not do that. With liver. Well, what's it called? Haggis? Haggis? Oh, my gosh. I would not be having any of that. Uh, I'm glad, uh, you know, that I've never even smelled haggis, apparently. But, guys, great show today. We had Taylor Moore winning for the first time on the PGA Tour. Big shout-out to Danny Lee winning on the Live Tour. Uh, and we will be back tomorrow because... The Dell Technologies match play starts on Wednesday, and later today we will find out 
what the pools are and the matchups we're going to get for the match play uh, are going to be. And and then, obviously, the field is already set. Unfortunately, Taylor Moore will not be in the field for the Dell Technologies match play, but he will be in the Masters coming up here in a couple of weeks. So, guys, we'll be back tomorrow to talk about match play, but great show. This has been Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Hit that subscribe button on Spotify and the follow button on Apple Podcasts as well. We're right there on the podcast page on the sportsanimal.com, and we're right there on the front page on golfoklahoma.org. Definitely go hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free. Just helps us out. And it lets you know when we drop a new episode. And also hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow to cover the Dell Technologies match play here on the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.